Podcast. This is Dr. Bennett, joined here by William Wheelwright, a farmer and well-known poster on our corner of Twitter. As featured on Tucker Carlson, he had a he had a, a documentary on declining fertility and, and, and sperm counts and and uh, sort of the, the crisis of fertility afflicting the West these days. So, welcome to the show, William. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. So, to open up the conversation. Is it the case that every dissident right-wing personality should abandon their Goldman Sachs job and become a plumber or a farmer? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Uh, I think um, I think that every right-wing Twitter personality should be trying to succeed in whatever realm they have found themselves in, which I think is, from what I know, um, extremely diverse, an extremely diverse range of uh, occupations and sectors and geographical locations. And that's a good thing. Um, and I don't think that there's like, um, you know, any particular reason to, uh, you know, obviously there may be some ideological reasons to, uh, prefer, uh, you know, um, white collar work or something. I think, you know, I, I think that, you know, it's, it's a good idea for young men to, um, in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of sort of winning in the, this, the, you know, uh, less than desirable system that we are all unavoidably operating in, um, it's not a bad thing or a bad idea to, um, you know, pursue material success. Obviously, spiritually, you have to be careful with that. But I think in terms of, um, you know, our side and what's in the best interest of our side, I don't think there's anything wrong with, um, you know, Goldman Sachs or, uh, going into finance or whatever. Um, but I do, I do think that, um, you know, Goldman Sachs is one thing and, you know, a sort of, um, a sort of high, um, slope trajectory, uh, that you might be able to put yourself on through that or through other, some other, uh, industry is, is one argument, but between if it may be a more pertinent discussion, uh, for someone who doesn't have access or through their education and their background is deciding between some sort of middle manager job um, at some irrelevant company or organization and becoming an electrician or a plumber or doing something, uh, you know, more traditionally considered working class or manual labor. And I think that um, it's a no brainer that that person should uh, go into trades. Um, yeah if you're 18 or, and you're deciding whether or not to go to college, uh, the reason for which would be, um, you know, to have some sort of, you know, so-called white collar job, uh, at the end of it versus going to a trade school and learning how to do that. Um, I just think that you will be better off in every way, uh, opting for the trades. You'll be, um, making more money. Most likely you'll be happier. You'll be more useful to, um, society, you will be more attractive to women. Um, I think, yeah, I, I, I would definitely recommend uh, eschewing <laughs> that sort of, you know, being realistic with yourself about what the trajectory looks like for what kind of career you're going into out of whether it be high school or college or grad school. 
and um, making a making a wise decision there. Yeah, being just being honest with yourself is is such a challenge uh, in our culture. The the idea mm-hmm. that you should that you should take an honest accounting of, uh, like what type of woman you're gonna get and what type of job you're going to qualify for and like everything is built around the moonshot the uh you know the the, you know you're going to be you're going to be lebron or bill gates or or you you know you're going to get the 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 10 of 10s -hmm. and it's really hard on the individual level to take to take a young man aside and say you know um these, this is the actual range of what you probably are going to accomplish. And I, you know, I, I think, I think probably part of the problem with that is, is that we frame people's worth in those terms. Mm-hmm. And so we say like, you know, if, if you could, uh, if you could make more money or, 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 or bag a hotter woman, then, then you would be, you would be more, you'd be better. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so then it's very hard to say, well, and that, 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 that leads into human biodiversity and all kinds of other topics that we're unable to be honest about because those are like the yard, like IQ is like the yardstick of humanity for a lot of people. Right. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, you use the word moonshot and I think, you know, the sort of follow your dreams, American type, um, yeah, uh, career kind of self-understanding and cultural, um, yeah, cultural way of way of knowing itself um through those terms is you know compared to other cultures uh probably yeah ultimately destructive um it just and it it ties in as you say to a lot of other things because it's about um this sort of like deified individualism um that i think you know um as it gets into more and more extreme uh regions uh sort of you know in the um in the abstract sense um it gets weirder and weirder. And I think, you know, this notion of like, you can do anything, follow your dreams. Yeah. You're LeBron. You can be a star athlete. You can, you know, do anything you set your mind to. Um, I think, yeah, that's probably an unhealthy kind of cultural mantra that we definitely have. Not just, not because it's like everyone's going to be an average loser, but because um, yeah, ultimately uh, we should still be encouraging people to excel, but we should be realistic, you know, from a relatively young age, I would say about um, what that will look like. And I think also, but and yeah. I think, you know, in some way this happens implicitly uh, for people at a certain, at a certain moment, but I think, you know, particularly for women, I mean, thinking of it in like the female terms, this is really like this notion of having it all as a woman uh, that is constantly bandied about um, and the sort of classic uh, tragic narrative of women kind of arriving in their late thirties and realizing uh, they actually can have it all, you know, after focusing on their career for, uh, you know, the first 15 or more years of their post, um, educational lives and yeah. feeling like they've made a massive mistake, which we're going to have, you know, millions and millions of those women as time goes on. Uh, I think, you know, we're already seeing the sort of repercussions of that whole situation politically to, to some degree, um, and it's going to get worse. And so, yeah, obviously that's one way, uh, among many that, this sort of, you know, denial of the limits of, you know, biology and physics and reality, um, which is really, I think, just at the, you know, we're getting straight to the center of, (laughs) of kind of the regime's um, 
the regime's core beliefs and core tenets. I think that's kind of the main thing that biology and that the law that um, the laws of physics and biology in particular, uh, you know, are are malleable and don't um, and can be can be manipulated through technology and don't uh, need not apply. So uh, you know, I think that's obviously <laughs> um, what basically what we're fighting against, and that manifests itself through race and sex primarily, but in a lot of other ways yeah. too. Um, I, I notice you, you see a lot of, um, like women, women picking fights with adult men, mm -hmm. a lot of, there's a lot of videos on the internet of women picking fights with adult men and it's like physical it, fights or, uh, like physical fights. Like they clearly, they clearly believe that there's yes. not as big of a differential as there is. Mm -hmm. And, um, I just think about like, uh, and, 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 you know, a lot of guys on our side of things will sort of celebrate the, uh. The, the the contact with reality right mm -hmm. um but i wonder if you have thoughts about like i i think i think uh doing some kind of hands-on job um raising animals raising mm -hmm. plants you mm -hmm. you learn a lot about your own limitations and and like where the where the boundaries are and what's possible and what's likely and i wonder what you've learned from your farm and your animals what's what's brought you into contact with reality yeah well i think um it is yeah and i uh, i think it's a great on-ramp to all of this stuff and that's sort of what my account has been is having this sort of unique perspective on farming that plays into the whole the larger political and socio and cultural conversation and and sort of what's going wrong and how we can fix it um and and yes farming and you know, interacting with the natural world of which is the, is the, you know, farming is the primal and most original form of, of that, um, at least within a sort of civilized and society, social context, interacting with plants and animals, as you say, is a great antidote to precisely the, um, precisely the sort of, you know, lies that we've been told. It reminds me of this sort of, the sort of PUA, uh, mantra that, you know, guys kind of, you know, that this notion that PUA was sort of like a, a big red pill for a lot of guys in like the 2000s or something, because, you know, they just sort of woke up to the fact that like everything they had been told about women was a lie. Um, and you can sort of have something similar in terms of like nature and on a much more, <laughs> much more primal level uh, about nature and reality and death and yeah, the way ecology and and the universe writ large operate through doing things that, you know, are either directly or adjacent to farming. Um, so to, to answer your question, I think, yeah, I think, you know, my mind, it's, it's obviously a very broad question, but I think, you know, what have I learned from farming? <laughs> you know, uh, everything that I know, I would say, but um, my mind goes in terms of like the deepest lessons, my mind goes to, um, you know, I think one of the regime's, one thing that should be discussed about what the regime believes and what, you know, we're up against is um, that it, you know, one of the, the, the sort of apotheosis of this denial of nature and denial of the sort of laws of laws of the universe, if you will, the natural law um, is that uh, like immortality will be possible at some point um, that like death itself is uh, eradicable. And you get, you get actually unironically get this through, certain tech personalities. And I think that boomers, um, wh whether they've turned out to be on the left or the right, um, are all afflicted by this, the same 
you know, childhood experience, which is that because technology was advancing so rapidly while they were, when they were children and, you know, man on the moon and all this different stuff, um, they, it was sort of, it seemed logical to them that like immortality would be achieved in their lifetimes. And there's like videos of, you know, boomers as children in black and white on YouTube saying these sorts of things saying like, you know, what do you, what sort of technologies do you think will, will have achieved by the time you're 50, 60, 70. And they, and, you know, often they'll say like, I think that we'll have, you know, um, I, I don't know what, what term they use, but like unlocked the, the secrets of immortality or whatever. And I think that, you know, COVID has been, I think that part of the reason the boomers chimped out so badly with COVID was because, you know, while they may no longer think that like immortality is within reach within their lifetimes, they still expect that they are going to live until like 150 or something. At least yeah. the ones that I've talked to genuinely think this and maybe they will. Um, <laughs> uh, that's, you know, a whole other, <laughs> a whole other can of worms, but um, the notion that that would be cut short, like halfway to the goal, if they're in their sixties, seventies or seventies now um, was like, you know, too much for them to bear. And that's why that, I think that's part of why kind of, you know, on a, um, on a psychological level, they freaked out so badly. And so I think bringing this all back to the farm, this notion of, you know, the relationship between the current regime and, and the natural world, and they're sort of, they, you know, they certainly view themselves uh, as at odds with each other, or at least uh, the regime views itself as at odds with nature. I don't know how the yeah. nature feels about the regime. But um, I think, you know, farming for me has, has really showed me that um, it's not so much that uh, that, you know, these are, that it's, it's like the natural law and in this sort of like old Testament way, like it must be kind of feared and respected. I think it's more just that there things like death, um, and, you know, uh, mortality and decay and stuff like that you interact with on a day-to-day -day basis on, in a farm setting, um, just have, are, are much more kind of complex than we've been taught, uh, growing up in, under this regime, um, and have, you know, and I think, you know, more ancient, uh, and older versions of the various religions we practice, um, understood this and, um, kind of kept, kept, for instance, death at, um, the forefront of their minds and basically everything that they did. And this actually sort of in, through a mystical process produces, you know, impressive results in terms of cultural and social achievement. Um, and I think that, having moved away from that, uh, you know, on a, on a very kind of abstract and sub or, or subconscious level is a big reason why, um, uh, is a big, is, is behind a lot of the sort of malaise that we have now, ironically. Um, yeah. and, and I think that farming kind of has been for me a good, um, just sort of reminder of all of these things that are kind of eternal truths. Yeah. You, you encounter, a lot more suffering and death than I think normal, like, uh, people who don't raise animals encounter, uh, even people who raise pets, you know, like their, 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 their animals very rarely get hurt. And when they get sick, they take them to the, to the veterinarian. And, and, you know, it's, it's this very different experience than when it's, you know, you've got, you've got, uh, you've got 30 chickens and if one of them gets hurt in any, like I, I, I do remember like when we first got our, our chickens and, and taking them to like the, the, the chicken expert at church and us being like, you know, he's kind of, this is a little bit funny and, and, and I'm not sure, I think he might be sick. And, 
and him being like, well, uh, it, it, it's a chicken and, um, you know, take, take care of it, make it comfortable. If it seems like it's in pain, you should probably kill it. And otherwise it, you know, it's a chicken. And, um, and when the weather got cold, you know, they, we were, they, we were, we were like, you know, if, if they're cold, you're, if, if you're cold, they're cold, bring them inside, but it's chickens. And they were like, no, these chickens are actually really, really tough and they can handle. And, and, uh, I actually have, have acquired a, a great deal of respect for the, uh, for the humble chicken. They are the way I, I've seen them injured. I've seen them, uh, torn up by animals and the way that they will show zero sign that they are suffering is, is really remarkable. Um, and then there's the fact that they, uh, the, the way that the hens uh, beat the hell out of each other when there's not enough roosters yeah. and the way when there's too many roosters, they beat the hell out of the hens. And it's, it's, uh, yep. <laughs> you know, we're not, we're not chickens, but we're not totally unlike chickens either. Yeah. There's a, uh, you know, a, a common, common life force uh, permeating all living beings. Uh, but um, yeah, it's interesting. You know, that's another, another big thing that uh, has a lot of kind of religious connotations. Um is the relationship, whether, you know, animals in terms of, you know, uh, slaughtering them and kind of working one's way through the ethics of that. Um, I, I think that, you know, to, to jump straight to the point, um, what I kind of realized, which I think is maybe a unique take that people haven't heard before, is that um, th- what complicates this whole discussion is that because animals, you know, you uh you may or may not believe like they have something like a soul, but, um, and, and, you know, I think there's it, one, one thing that's difficult about that conversation is that there's such a, a clear hierarchy of like intelligence and emotional intelligence, uh, among animals, you know, like whales and like dolphins and then, and like gnats and worms are, uh, you know, you can, <laughs> are not on the same level. Um, sure. and so we have to, we have to deal with that and, and understand what that means, but that's another conversation. My point was to say that, um, what makes it difficult, what makes it interesting about uh, slaughtering animals and complicates the conversation is that they uh, don't know about death. Yeah. They don't have like this fear of, um, you know, the untraveled country from who's born, uh, however it goes, from who's born, no traveler returns. Uh, they, um, they, you know, and so thinking about that fact, they fear pain and they fear even more than pain, they fear. Um, depending on the species, they fear usually separation from the group um, and will gladly undergo pain and or death, uh, or risk pain and death to reunite themselves with the group. Um, and so that's like the worse than death for them. And, you know, obviously pain and discomfort um, they are aware of and are trying to avoid. But death itself, um, they don't know about, at least not farm animals. I mean, I think it's interesting, like... Um, uh, you know, video, um, that video about the orcas, that movie about the orcas, um, Blackfish, where it had the yeah. mother orca mourning the dead child, the dead calf. Um, you, you have to wonder whether whales are aware of death in some way because of that, uh, which would be kind of a crazy thing. But certainly cows and sheep and pigs uh, and definitely uh, poultry don't, don't know that like death is something that might happen to them. And so, um, and the, you know, one way you might realize this is that if you have a group of pigs, for instance, and 
you're going to slaughter them. Uh, you shoot the first one and the other pigs will just lick up its blood and, uh, and, you know, don't know like what, you know, <laughs> it's like their brother or their friend and, you know, you've just killed it and they don't, it's like they, they don't, you know, mourn it or they don't, they don't see it as like a whatever. And they're emotional animals. Um, you know, they definitely, uh, pigs in particular definitely, um, express themselves um in a sort of relatively complex way compared to compared to a lot of other animals so they i i believe that they don't have any awareness of what death is the way that human beings do and um all, all they're trying to do is avoid pain so killing them kind of whether or not that's like what what that means to the animal is different and the other thing that is sort of related to this is that i think once they've reached maturity they don't experience time in the same way as human beings do um i think that you know Maybe while obviously while they're growing to maturity, they may experience it in some way similar to how we do. And maybe when they're sort of decaying and dying, they might experience it in some way similar to the way that we do. But through the like prime of their life from, you know, if it's a say it's a sheep that can live to, you know, eight or 10 years, um, you know, it's got the first year where it grows to maturity and then the last maybe two years where it's sort of, uh, you know, beginning to, to falter a little bit. But those interceding seven years are basically just the same thing every day. Uh, you know, it, it's like the there, there's not like this kind of um, linear trajectory, like what, how we think of our own lives for them. Um, I, I noticed when we first got our dairy cow mm -hmm. that the moment she figured out that the fence was electrified, mm -hmm. she would eat and chew cud and get hay and get water and that was like she didn't explore things she didn't like she, she just sort of exists yeah <laughs> and She's uh, this and, the world now. yeah there's no uh there's there's no possibility i think, I think when, when you're talking about the passage of time there's no boredom mm -hmm. and there's no uh yeah like waiting for anything she's just yeah there yep yeah 100 percent. yeah they're they're present in the moment um they're not and they don't experience like anxiety or anything like this right um so uh yeah and the, and you know these are all things that are bound up with time and uh you know the knowledge that time is or or, or the, the sensation that time is kind of ticking away that humans have kind of uh memed themselves into in, in certain ways um so, yeah, I think between those two things, um, it's very interesting to think about, uh, you know, between the, the, the way that animals experience death and time or to the degree that they do, um, you sort of, you, you think about those things in the human context and they're sort of, um, they, they become very interesting. You know, in, uh, in Christianity, we, we believe that, that death is not natural, you know, that it's, it was given to man as a punishment for his unnatural behavior his or his disobedient behavior and so like what does that mean in terms of uh the rest of creations the rest of living creations relationship to death which obviously they undergo death but um you know anyway i, I don't have the answers to this stuff but it's all very interesting to ponder and just even thinking about these things and asking these questions is um is very much you know a sort of reactionary act uh in my opinion and the bible talks about tasting death mm-hmm and as as opposed to, um, I, I think I think uh, tasting of death is maybe different than dying. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, right. 
I, I don't think that animals taste of death. I think that they just die. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it's very interesting. Like the uh, the hymn um, Ave Verum Corpus, uh, which pop you know made famous by Mozart, um, which they used to sing uh, at mass at the consecration. One of the lines is "Esto nobis pregustatum mortis in examine." May this be, or this is to us uh, a foretaste of the trial of death. Um, uh, talking about you know the Eucharist. And so, yes, uh, this notion that we need to be constantly reminding ourselves about our mortality and uh, seeking out and preparing ourselves for a good death or a glorious death uh, is very kind of uh, Greco-Roman slash Christian, um, at least like medieval Christian, <laughs> maybe certain uh, denominations have lost this, um, uh, understanding or, or, or sort of, you know, set of way of, way of, um, prioritizing or, or pr- creating a hierarchy of values in life um, and putting, putting, you know, the, um, the, the sort of preparing oneself for a, for a good death at the very top. Um, you know, what, what are the effects of, of doing this and what are the, what have we lost by um, having abandoned this, this, you know, uh, this, this approach to human life, uh, which we undoubtedly have done. Um, And I think a lot of a lot of the sort of deformity and decay and both of our bodies and of our society uh, have to do with this abandonment. Yeah, it's it's uh, well, and but at the same time, you can see you can see how the lines were 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 drawn in that, you know, if if you if you're if you're thinking about the Gospels and you're thinking about Jesus, um you know, healing the, the, the sick and, and, and caring for the poor and advising us to care for the poor and, and, and sort mm-hmm. of to, to alleviate suffering. Mm-hmm. And then we have this technological revolution, which promises the alleviation of suffering at a scale undreamed of in the past. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you can see how, uh, maybe I like I, I I basically view liberalism and 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 sort of the uh, oh I'm I'm trying not to use BAP's word for it but let's just say the uh, the ideology the ideology of the regime international um, racial Marxism <laughs> there you go I like that one um, yeah <laughs> um, the, the the roots that that has in Christianity. But I mean, it's obviously like it's obviously a heresy. It's obviously uh, uh, devoid of of mm-hmm. uh, of Christ. But but mm-hmm. you can see how it's rooted in this like let's alleviate suffering, let's take away pain, mm-hmm. let's make people feel comfortable, let's let's mm-hmm. be warm and loving to everyone. And yeah, I, let's I fill in the valleys and and level the mountains. Right, right, and <laughs> let's and do everything that the, is supposed the, to happen on the last day. Um, yeah, let's do all. Yeah, yeah. But the but the the being uh, raising animals in particular mm-hmm. uh, involves. I, I think you're right that you're supposed to love the animals that you are that are in your stewardship, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you are also uh, going to deliberately inflict the wounds of death on those animals, mm-hmm. and you're gonna uh, you're gonna essentially cut that animal apart and eat it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I wonder if that is one of the realities that, that I wonder if that sort of 
planted seeds for this heresy of like the infliction of pain is always bad. And therefore, uh, you know, uh, men who are psychologically and physiologically like all of our adaptations relative to the female of the species are about our ability to inflict and withstand and psychologically endure violence. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like, we are, you know, uh, if violence is sort of the, the, the original sin, uh, tyranny, oppression, uh, coercion, mm-hmm. the deliberate infliction of pain, if, if, if that's the ultimate evil, mm-hmm. uh, then, then manhood basically ipso facto is evil. Yep. And, uh, and yeah, it, it seems to me that, that at least having some contact with where the dino nuggets come from, <laughs> uh, could change that for us psychologically. Yeah. That's a really interesting point. I hadn't thought about it in those terms, but yeah. Um, you know, um, whitewashing the inherent violence of, you know, the act of eating anything, but, uh, certainly meat, um, not that it needs to be obviously, um, we can and should um, uh, minimize um, suffering and pain, but death, you know, always involves pain. It always hurts, um, you know, and, and our, you know, responsibility as, as a slaughterman <laughs> is, um, it, you know, whether by, whether directly or by degree is to uh, minimize that pain and suffering. Um, but yes, there's, there is, you know, uh, unavoidable violence in, in the act of taking uh, another being's life. And yes, being, being able to um, hold two truths at once, which is that, you know, particularly in the sort of farming, small farm or homestead context of, you know, we love these animals, we care for them, we, uh, you know, want um, them to have, uh, you know, good, comfortable lives. Um, and, but yes, we are going to slaughter them uh, at the end of the day. Uh, being able to, um, you know, <laughs> reconcile those two, you know, sort of rationally uh, irreconcilable notions um, is a big is is all is I think, you know, also part of, you know, all, like you just what you just said about men um, men being adapted to sort of psychologically withstand violence. Um, I think that's you know a big part of it. Not that you know women can't do that in, in the slaughter context also, but I do think that it's a uh, relatively well, yeah, it's an inherently male trait, I would say, is being able to, um, you know, just do what has to be done, right? Uh, and uh, you know, not not sort of um, get emotional about it. Uh, if well, I, I think it actually, I actually don't think it's that irreconcilable. I mean, I I think about um, even even when it's interpersonal violence, even when it's uh, you know, defending people you love against people who want to hurt them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I think that there is a conflation of, there's a conflation of violence and hatred mm-hmm. or a, 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 um, a conflation of violence and cruelty. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, even if it's in the context where you're, you're, you're sort of called upon in your responsibility as a, as a protector, and a provider mm-hmm. to to uh, harm another human being. I think, I, yeah, I, I think it's you don't doesn't mean you hate them. It doesn't mean you want them to suffer. It just means, well, 
in 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 the in the furtherance of my duty as the uh, the protector of this family or the or or a, a protector of this uh, country or whatever it is, I mm-hmm. have to I have to blow that guy's brains on the back of that wall, <laughs> and uh, y- you know, um, we are we are called upon as Christians to 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 love our enemies. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't necessarily see that it's contradictory, especially since we believe in the hereafter. Like mm-hmm. uh, death and pain are not the worst things that can happen to a person. Mm-hmm. And uh, for 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 instance, in in the case of uh, someone who someone who wants to wants to hurt your family or something, the the the, uh, the infliction of a punishment to prevent them from doing that is uh, i would argue a mercy compared to what they will suffer if they are allowed to commit that act mm-hmm. and uh so yeah I, I, I basically just to draw it all back i think that i think that farming is a really important way of connecting with violence mm-hmm. um and and understanding it as a normal part of life that you are actually purpose built to do and if you mm-hmm. believe that we are created in the image of God, then that becomes really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> I, I'd like to, uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about what you said on the, uh, the Tucker Carlson documentary about, uh, about declining fertility, declining sperm counts. Um, what, what triggered your interest in that subject in particular how did you kind of get into that space to where you were you were sort of scooped up as as an expert on that topic (laughs) good question i was a little confused about it at first myself um but i think just because of what i post about which isn't necessarily focused so much on the directly on the fertility stuff or the sort of you know ray ray pete type uh guys who are also involved like ben braddock and stuff um who, who know a lot more about the sort of, you know, medical biological side of, you know, at least the human side of things. Um, but I think just through, through, um, you know, what I'm able to, to offer in terms of, um, farming and, and food and, uh, sort of, uh, how, how these things relate to, you know, the sort of the the various, various things that are going on in terms of, uh, yeah, hormonal catastrophes, both, both in terms of, uh, you know, testosterone and, 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 yeah, um, you know, sperm, uh, you know, in general sort of, uh, appropriative, uh, um, biological processes breaking down. Um, but, and also, you know, just toxins in general, um, which are all obviously not, not all, but are, are in large part related to agriculture, um, as it is widely practiced today. Um, so I think that's how I kind of, um, got looped in with those guys. Uh, but it was, yeah, I was, <laughs> I was surprised myself, but it was uh, a great time making the documentary. And, um, you know, I think we, it was a very good final product, uh, at least insofar as it made our enemies chimp out. Um, very <laughs> that did always, is always an ancillary goal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> do, do you, if, if you had the, um, if you were running the Department of Agriculture or the mm-hmm. EPA, 
mm-hmm. would be your priorities as far as uh, as far as attacking those toxins? Well, um, I think on, sort of from a, a larger t- blowing this out to a larger conversation, um, and uh, in order to zoom back in again uh, in a second. I think that agriculture, there's a misperception that um, agriculture is practiced the way it is today because in America, because um, that's like, you know, some sort of free market (laughs) um, process taking place. Yeah. When, you know, nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, You know, it is very much a, it it may be the most manipulated uh, industrial sector um, in terms of, you know, how, and you can just, you can, you, you, you perceive that just through the homogeneity that you can, you can observe if you drive across the country or, um, you know, look at numbers about what we grow and how much of it, um, you know, it, it's not natural or normal or the free market, uh, for, you know, there to be 60% of the continent growing, you know, one or two crops. Um, yeah. This is especially, yeah, and what's especially unnatural and not normal uh, in terms of specifically to agriculture, and this relates to the chemical thing, is, and this is an extremely new and dangerous experiment uh, in the sort of, you know, grand scheme of human history, is the the segregation of animal and plant agriculture. Um, and so, what, what ends, whereas, you know, up until the 60s, virtually every single farm in America and everywhere else for that matter, uh, for all of human history would have been integrated uh, animals and crops, um, and, and you know, not even necessarily, um, you know, like production type animals, but uh, certainly draft animals, which um, would would have produced the fertility that uh, you know would have been um, spread on you know in order to grow cash crops, um, and, and, and you know even other minor inputs like that. This would have been you know in the pre chemical agricultural um, world. Uh, which again is less than a hundred years old. Um, the uh, you know this would have been the fertility source, but now instead of instead of doing that, we keep all of our cows, which we don't have. We have the same amount of or less or fewer cows than there were buffalo here. Uh, you know, prior to them all being slaughtered by the U.S. Army in the 1880s, almost to the, the almost to extinction. Um, and uh, you know, so the the carrying capacity of the continent is not being um, challenged or, or pushed up against. Um, and, uh, you know, that's just Buffalo, by the way, that doesn't include all the other herbivores that were here in term, including, you know, caribou and, uh, elk and, 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 you know, many other species. Um, but, uh, point just being that, you know, we, we take that, you know, that number, you know, 70 million, however many million head of cattle, I can't remember off the top of my head, um, are, are being, uh, you know, at any given time, that's what we have in the States between dairy and, um, a dairy and beef and we keep them, um, you know, rather than, rather than, you know, using their fertility to, in terms of their manure and, uh, other effluvia, uh, to, um, you know, make compost and do intelligent things like that. Um, we just let it all kind of get flushed down the Mississippi every time there's like a hurricane, uh, you know, and so, and, and, and then we, instead of, (laughs) instead of, uh, using it on all the corn that we grow, uh, we, um, buy, you know, we manufacture, uh, petroleum based fertilizers, uh, and then that goes down to Missouri whenever there's a hurricane also. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, it's a great system. Uh, it really makes a lot of, sense. but, uh, and so, you know, this, this would be, 
sorry, sorry. I was your, your question was how would I, what would I, you know, if I were head of the USDA, um, I think that yeah, you know, we need to um, remove these perverse incentives, which really ultimately, you know, um, the the motivations of the actual farmers are are, are very simple, um, and that's just to keep the land, keep their family's land, <laughs> which is I mean, for most of them right. been in their family for a long, long time, um, at least in American terms. And, um, you know, that's sort of, that's sort of all that, all that really matters is to be able to keep the land. And in order to do that, they're, they're, you know, farmers in general, whatever kind of farmer you are, you are, um, totally over levered to, uh, creditors and lenders, uh, in order to continue to, you know, be on this hamster wheel of producing, um, this debt hamster wheel of producing, uh, you know, corn and beans, uh, and using, you, you know, using debt purchased, uh, equipment and, uh, you know, mortgaging your own land, mortgaging land and, you know, having to other, other things bought on debt. And it's all just, you know, all that it's actually propping up are the, are the creditors and, right. you know, the creditors who are, who are then <laughs> propping up the, you know, um, equipment manufacturers and the, the chemical manufacturers, and the last, you know, <laughs> the last guy, the last guy to get anything that's left would be the farmer, which rarely happens. And, uh, you know, maybe in an exceptionally good year, a farmer might uh, make a little bit of money, but most of them um, are working town jobs uh, and the actual farming doesn't take up that much of their time. Um, and so it's a very, you know, if, if we, <laughs> what I would like to see is a thriving agricultural sector that is actually, um, you know, productive in its own right, that doesn't need crop insurance and other kind of perverse incentives to uh, keep it going in order to, um, you know, defend the interests of uh, urbanites. And, um, and, and, you know, there's various ways you could incentivize that. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, I'm interested in what you said about not about combining uh, plant and animal agriculture, because basically one of the things that I've realized as I've, mm-hmm. uh, tried my hand at some things mm-hmm. is that uh i really like that the uh the cow and the chickens remind me that they're there mm-hmm. and the uh and the plants don't and so I, i've <laughs> sort of i've sort of uh been, been considering getting like something more like ranch land where i could just have uh just keep animals because I, I, mm-hmm. I, I've tried three or four different uh, seasons to, uh, to raise something, and it always goes terribly because um, mm-hmm. I just, I just I, you know, I'm working a day job. I forget that they're there, um, mm-hmm. but, you know, the cow won't let you forget. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, guess, yep. I, I guess what I would ask you is, like, uh, how, do you, how do you balance? I mean, do you, do you run the farm full time? No, I also have a day job. Okay. Um, and then I- and then I, uh, and then I run the farm, you know, in the mornings and the evenings and the weekends. Um, so, um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, I, uh, I just, I just value the, the garden time. I mean, I, we, we don't grow anything commercially, uh, in terms of, uh, plants. <laughs> so, okay. but, um, in terms of remembering that the garden's there, it's just, you know, sort of, it's nice that it's only for four or five months out of the year. Uh, and so you get to really, um, uh, you know, versus the animals is just every day, all year round. Um, 
the, uh, the, I don't know. I just, I just personally, um, really like the garden. So <laughs> I, I, maybe I need, maybe I just need to figure out how to do it. Like I, I, uh, I feel really incompetent in the garden. What, what's the, uh, what's the easy mode? How do you, how did you get started? Um, well, I just grew up doing it with my family. Um, and then in college, I, my college had a, uh, had a piece of land that they let the hippie kids have a garden on. And I was sort of in charge of that, um, <laughs> which was, which was weird for me because I was with all of these <laughs> strange people. Um, but I really wanted to, grow vegetables. And there was a cool guy there, you know, an old guy who had been sort of the adult in the room, making sure everything proceeded uh, according to plan for many years. And, um, and I, um, you know, learned a lot from him about, about growing vegetables. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I think Obviously, yeah. If you're not if you're not uh, getting you know, awesome <laughs> results and yields, then it's difficult to stay motivated and, and focused, right? I think <laughs> so, I need to find a sensei. But, yeah. I think that's that's what I'm hearing. I need to. Uh... Yeah, I mean, YouTube, YouTube has tons of different great gardening resources. Uh, yeah, but Charles, the thing Charles is, that YouTube a YouTube channel can't look at my thing and be yeah, like, "Here's how you're screwing it up." So I think yeah. I need to. Uh... Well, I, I should I should probably just uh, next season. I think I'm gonna run it by the boys at Exit. We've got some gardeners in there. Um, yeah, well, you you've got a chicken guy at church. Surely there must be a, a gardening guru there as well. So yeah, yeah. On the subject of the the sort of lack of vision of the things that we are doing, mm -hmm. um, the the way that it's very immediate. I I, I want to ask you um, when we win. And we uh, and we we storm uh, little St. James and we expropriate all of Bill Gates' wealth. Um, <laughs> I, I'm interested to know uh, if you had if you had five hundred million dollars, what would you do mm -hmm. with it? I would I would probably want to start like farm schools, mm. like where for boy for you know young men, um, where they um, where they you know, learn are, are basically farming and, and, you know, really ranching. I mean, raising dairy animals and taking care of them, but also, you know, have kind of, uh, cool, uh, you know, frog teachers that, um, teach them about like philosophy and stuff. I think that would be, uh, you know, and this would obviously just be once we, once we win, uh, this would be required education for all. Yeah. Compulsory. Uh, obviously. For all young men. Yeah. Um, and they would just go and spend, you know, ages 10 through 18, uh, at these, uh, nomadic, uh, nomadic cowboy bodybuilder, um, boot camps. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. How do you, how do you advise? I mean, do, do you have young men reach out to you, uh, mm -hmm. to, to sort of ask about how to get started in that world? And what do you tell them? Yeah. Um, sometimes, I mean, not, not like crazy deluge or anything, but yeah, often, often have people DMing me asking for advice about, um, this and that, uh, related to, related to farming. I think, you know, I, I always try and if I haven't responded, if you're listening and I haven't responded to you, I apologize. Send me another DM. Uh, but I try and respond to, to everyone and, um, with at least a little bit of, a, uh, of an answer and advice. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, 
I, yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, along those lines in a more kind of immediately realistic way, I always recommend just if you're in an area, find, find, it doesn't have to be an old timer, but often, oftentimes it is the old timers, but find somebody who's just done what you're trying to do successfully in your area. <laughs> and if that person doesn't exist, then, you know, you're in for, you're in for a lot of trial and error probably, but um, that's cool too. I mean, that was what I was, that was my path. So <laughs> yeah. Um, the old timers. Uh, so I, I, I live around quite a lot of old timers mm-hmm. and, uh, and I think that's one of the challenges with the, uh, the, the ruralization, uh, dream. If you, if you're trying to do it on an individual level, um, mm-hmm. is that, uh, I, I, I love our old timers and we, we get along great, but, um, mm-hmm. I, currently I am, I am in a community that is rapidly aging. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of rural communities are, are very, very similar. And I, I, I've personally come, come around to the idea that probably if I'm going to strike some kind of a balance where my kids have the experience with animals and experience with wilderness that I, that I want them to have, but also have kind of access to the resources of, uh, of Babylon, Mm -hmm. uh, and, and also, you know, grow up around friends. So they're not, you know, like Mm -hmm. we're kind of the only kids in the Valley. Uh, the only, the only family Mm -hmm. with kids. Right. Yeah. Which is tough. It's tough. And And I've kind of concluded that, uh, the only answer to that is to kind of build it for ourselves. And I wonder mm. if if you've given thought to like maybe living closer to some like-minded people or or uh, like how how would you how would you revivify or or, or, or rejuvenate some of these uh, some of these dying places if indeed you think that's what we ought to do? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a fraught topic, and it's very uh, um, it's. A because it's just very difficult. Uh, no one seems to have done it um, in a universally desirable way. And B, um, you know, uh, <laughs> not all of these places are well. There's just people who who don't want to see it happen, uh, who live in these places um, for whatever reason. So um, that's that's challenging. But obviously, or who, who would you know maybe want to see it revitalized? But like in in a kind of, you know, with the people that are there kind of thing. I don't know, different, different situations in different places, but you, you don't, you don't be a carpet banker. Right. They're not excited about, about newcomers, uh, which is understandable. Um, right. so whether, you know, no matter what, no matter what, uh, ethnicity they are. Um, and so, um, yeah, I, it, it, it's, it's a big challenge, obviously. Um, you know, it, I, one thing that I, w- I was talking to some friends about recently uh, on on the DMs was um, just you know it's easy when we're kind of on on our side to lose sight of just how few of us there are <laughs> at least on Twitter uh, there may be many sympathetic types uh, yeah. you know in the general population that you could that you could maybe um, you know express our ideas to in a sort of normy way and they would be receptive of them. But, um, in terms of like the one, the people who are on Twitter, there's, there's, you know, probably not more than 50,000. Um, 
in total. Look, just looking at the follower accounts of the biggest account, the follower counts of the biggest accounts and accounting for, you know, people who hate follow them or, you know, feds and everything. So um, right. <laughs> there's, you know, I, I estimate there's around 50,000, which is obviously a very, very small number. And it's not that that's, you know, that's, that's to our advantage in a lot of ways, but in terms of um, this question of, you know, actually um, where you live and, and who you surround yourself with, I, yeah, I mean, I'm not there in life anyway, personally, I don't have a family. I'm not a hundred percent settled. I'm, I am where I am because that's where I, I grew up, but, um, you know, open to the possibility of not being here forever. Although that, yeah. you know, I wouldn't mind either, but, um, uh, I think, I think, uh, yeah, it's just, it's <laughs> nobody, nobody has come up with a solution to this yet or, or, or a viable model. Um, because, you know, I think ultimately you run into the problem of the kind of, um, intentional community, uh, sure. or, or, um, basically commune. <laughs> right. Uh, and I just think that, you know, um, successful communities in the long run, unless they're bound together by like serious religious, um, affiliations and everybody in it is, is seriously devout. And even then you run into problems, but, you know, I think that actually like there's a lot to be gleaned and learned from cringe though it may be the, the suburban model, um, just in terms of like privacy and like, um, the amount, the amount of privacy and like, um, or, or the sort of ratio and balance between community and privacy and like, you know, here's what's mine and here's what's yours. And then we like, right. you know, we have a sort of, uh, a sort of, you know, conciliar structure to, um, administer like, you know, public stuff, uh, utilities and so on. Um, it actually works pretty well. Um, yeah. And it's obviously, it's never really existed, but figuring out, <coughs> um, you know, I think, I think that that, that actually, you know, there's a reason that like basically America like conquered the world and then like the dudes who did it came back and like had all of this land and just like built suburbia. It's like the ideal model for like, you know, having a peaceful life where you like have the best of both worlds in terms of like, this is my little like micro like, you know, manor and estate on a quarter acre or whatever. And, you know, I've got my friend next door, who, like I may or may not get along with, but it doesn't matter because like, we don't have to hang out, but if we want to, we can this yeah. sort of, this sort of vibe um, versus like, you know, I think the problem that a lot of people have run into when they've kind of moved to a place to, you know, with the sort of intention of having a community is just that like people feel, you know, there, there's, there's a sense of kind of implicit obligation that ends up becoming burdensome and, that's just even, yeah, even if, yeah, exactly. Even if it's just like, you know, um, you're, there's not even any kind of like community aspect of it. If it's just like, we're, we're all moving, you know, five of us are moving to like the same town. Like even just from that, just the fact that there's like an intention there, it ends up, it, it can become, it can become problematic very easily. And then, you know, that, and that's to say nothing of like actual communes where like people you know, literally all go and live on like the same piece of land in different houses and like share chores and, uh, you know, like do all of that, which is just, uh, you know, an absolute uh, disaster waiting to happen. Um, and yeah. pretty much has been in every case, if you look at like how many hippie communes have survived. And I've definitely seen, I've been around um, in various, um, in various capacities, the sort of remnants of what, 
of, of a lot of a lot of these places that started in in the 60s and whatever um or earlier and it's just you hear and you know there's still some people like lingering around but it's just very kind of broken and um yeah. sad given how like uh, idealistic and ambitious they were uh when they when they first went <laughs> yeah historically the way that families with an affinity for each other were, would would cement their interests would be through through marriage basically and i think the idea behind intentional community is that you can be so um ideologically simpatico that that uh that you just sort of pretend you don't have disparate interests yeah and i just i don't know that that's i don't know that that's achievable um mm-hmm. But when I picture where I want to live and and the type of life I want to live, mm-hmm. I I love being on significant acreage where I can shoot into a pile of dirt if I feel like it, and I can mm-hmm. shoot off fireworks, and I can have cows and chickens, and nobody's going to tell me to cut my grass, et cetera. Um, but I also would like to live on a street with other families that are in similar situations. Uh, and, and so basically like, I think there's this exurb, uh, model that, that at least, at least it appeals really strongly to me because then you can, you know, you can have your, your homeschool group and you can take the kids, uh, into town for their, their dance class or their boxing class or whatever. Um, but you still have some of the sovereignty of uh, there's not all these municipal ordinances breathing down your neck. Yeah. I think, I think that has a lot more legs than something, you know, something more intense. And I think basically people forge those kind of thing, you know, like in the, in the American model, which obviously has a lot of downsides, but this sort of, you know, rootless um, uh, transitory model that has, you know, developed in America over the last 80 or so years of sort of, you know, you grow up in a city or in suburbia and uh, you graduate from high school there and then you go to college and then you basically just, you know, never return uh, uh, or you have no like affiliation with that place and you, you move on to the next place. But, and, and that's obviously, you know, you, you miss out on a lot because of that if, you, if you're born into that situation. But on the other hand, um, I think people do, you know, kind of... Uh, end up in, you know, let's say you, you, you know, move to a city and you have, you have one or two kids in the city and then you move to the suburbs because you'd rather raise your kids in the suburbs. And, you know, you, you, you're all of a sudden in this like random place that you never really <laughs> spent any time in, but, and, and there's all these other people who are sort of in this random place and kind of in this like, you know, college like way you end up like, you know, creating affiliations and, and, and associations with, with other people, not like in any official way, but you just become friends with other people because they're like, you know, your kids are friends or whatever. Sure. And uh, yeah, it's less, it's less, you know, it's less intentional. Again, I keep using that word, but I think there's something to be said for like the lack of intentionality uh, is I guess what I'm saying. Um, but obviously, yes, in terms of like the shifting, you know, I think what I'm describing may have been more of a viable option or may have been more of a realistic option kind of in the sort of, I don't know, like, um, post, uh, post World War II, but pre like, you know, Obama, like 2012, 
politicization of everything um, yeah. phenomenon that we're still obviously uh, living in. Um, if you lived yeah, in a now, culture that was more broadly homogeneous, you could you could count on at least get, you know getting along with some of the people around you a lot more easily. Now there's just so many axes of conflict. Yeah. There's so many so many reasons not to get along. Um, right, makes it really challenging. Yeah, and there's no you know I think uh, we hate on boomers a lot, but um, boomers like I think authentically believed in this notion of like tolerance as the highest virtue virtue um and like you know free speech and like um everybody should like say should like at least you know contribute to the conversation and we can uh if we don't like what somebody says we can shut them down with the bait i think you know at least the average boomer like authentically believed in this and this notion of yeah like this liberal notion of tolerance um and i just and you know that actually makes it possible to like be friends with someone who you don't agree with, <laughs> obviously. Right. Um, right. And that's just not that that's been, uh, that's been, you know, canned as an, as a, as a cultural concept, I think. Uh, and, you know, as the boomers die off, uh, the loss of that is going to, um, is going to, we're going to rue the loss of that. I would, I would expect. Oh yeah. So much of, so much of small L liberalism mm-hmm. is just an adaptation to living among friendlies. Like, yeah. if you stipulate, hey, we're all friends here, we're all aiming in the same direction, then it really mm-hmm. makes sense to, like, let everybody speak their piece, be more or less, you know, uh, democratic in the sense of kind of governing from consensus, you know, making sure as many people as possible are on board and, 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 um, and tolerating disagreement and not, not, picking fights unnecessarily and, and, and so much of those. And I, frankly, I, I think that some of those adaptations uh, made the West the world conquering Colossus that it was because we were capable mm-hmm. of so much in-group cooperation, so much, uh, mm-hmm. so much internal trust uh, mm-hmm. that, that made, that made things way more efficient. And it's like, uh, I think you see that with the kind of endless schisming uh, among our guys, because there is this like face saving kind of like, like uh, um, there's an ideological rejection of that kind of tolerance. Mm-hmm. And so they won't tolerate each other. And mm-hmm. so there's these endless bickering and, and, and I, right. like, I, I think that's not an accident that has ideological roots. Yeah. Yeah. Gatekeeping as sort of like one of the most important things. Um, and yeah, excluding, excluding people, uh, you know, very intentionally excluding certain, certain types of people because of, <laughs> because of what they say and think, um, which, you know, right. obviously, um, I think does have to be done, uh, sure. to a certain degree, but I do think also, I think, you know, one interesting, one interesting point that's not, it's not my original point, of course, but, um, is just this, uh, you know, this, this idea that, um, that, that free speech and, and liberal, liberal ideas in general is just the, the sort of ideology of the outsider, you know, like if you're, or, or, or of the, of the dissenter, um, and if you're a, a hippie or something speaking from outside of like the sort of, I don't know, power structure, the centralized, uh, ideological, um, 
uh, apparatus, then of course your ideology is free speech <laughs> because if right. not, then like you get burned at the stake or whatever. And, yeah. uh, but then as soon as those people get into power or their sort of descendants get into power, like it's no longer about free speech. And so, um, but, but it becomes interesting when you get, have these sort of, when you have a right wing thing that, that is not, that is both in dissent, but also rejects liberalism. Um, you end up, yeah, with this, as you're describing this problematic situation of like <laughs> being unable to, you know, unite the tribes, um, and, uh, you know, um, yeah, I don't, <laughs> I personally, I'm, I'm comparatively, you know, wholesome chungus, uh, in terms of like wanting to be friends with as many people as possible. I mean, not everybody, but, um, you know, I don't, <laughs> I'm, I'm not out there trying to, uh, trying to cause splintering or, or at least I'm, I, I'm, if I'm in such a situation or part of such a debate, I'm trying to find kind of common cause most of the time, but, um, yeah, it, it's it's it seems pretty baked into <laughs> to the ideologies that we're sort of dealing with, uh, but yeah, obviously at a certain point, I mean, you know, the the sort of probably biggest example is just is just sort of Nietzschean vitalism and Christianity, which I personally think there's plenty of um, potential for overlap on, but uh, you know, there there you know it, there's a basically a constant kind of, you know, um, sparring happening between certain personalities on either side of, of that. Certainly, and, uh, certainly we view the regime with the same revulsion for a lot of the same reasons. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I, I honestly, um, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not an expert on Nietzsche or anything, but I, I feel that there is certainly, um, there's certainly an opportunity and there's nothing contradictory about a sort of vitalistic Christianity. And I think such a thing has existed in the past. Um, it basically doesn't exist now, at least not in any sanctioned form, of course. But, um, you know, I think that uh, I don't, I don't see those two things as, as being at odds um, for a certain type of person. I mean, I, I sort of, I understand the the critiques of, of, of the, you know, Christian belief system in general from like the Nietzschean perspective, but in terms of, you know, uh, to the extent that it's, it's about something bigger than Nietzsche, which is about, you know, which it's about, um, you know, throwing off this like suffocating, um, life, you know, diminishing, um, uh, rule that we live under, uh, there's obvious, <laughs> you know, common cause. And, you know, because it's about, again, going back to the beginning, I think both things are ultimately about, about, you know, the will and about having a good death. Um, those are, those are what, um, that is the, the, like the ultimate common cause, right? That that's, that we're yeah. sort of headed towards the same, that we're both, we, we both desire the same goal. And I think maybe if anything, Christians need to, uh, keep that, keep that in mind a bit more. Um, that's what Christianity is about. Um, at, you know, at, you know, number one, I would say. Yeah. Being, being ready to meet God. I think that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, the the challenge with it's because i think i think most of us recognize that we're we're returning to this pre-liberal uh because basically what what happened with liberalism was that the uh the bubble demarcating inside and outside popped and mm -hmm. 
now there is no inside where that cooperative mentality is justified, but that cooperative mentality is expected to be applied universally. Mm-hmm. And that's what's creating uh, a lot of the chaos that we see, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And 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 what what is being negotiated now among people who see this, I think, is who can we cooperate with? Who's on the inside? And I, somebody was, I can't remember the study, it's been passed around various times, but the study basically that as, as societies increase in diversity, they decrease in social trust, even mm-hmm. among the native population. Mm-hmm. And it's basically because you can no longer trust inside your uh, ethnic enclave, which used to be the majority, you can no mm-hmm. longer trust that they won't sort of uh, use the outsiders as a cudgel against you to, to sort of hash out uh, grievances and settle scores and things. And what a I novel idea. That, I've never heard of anything like that. No, no, no. I'm being sarcastic. <laughs> I, it's obviously, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's going on all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's uh, basically, I, I think what's happening between like the urban s- faction and the rural faction and the Nietzschean faction and the Christian faction and all the other sort of ways that you could slice this, like uh, uh, the, 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 the pickup artist guys versus the, uh, the, the, the cell, the uh, incel or, 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 or vol cell, true cells. Or <laughs> true cells. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> is, is that the other side is the useful idiots for the enemy. Mm-hmm. The other side is is just playing into the enemy's hand, either by being too right. conciliatory or being too inflammatory or whatever. And 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 uh, I the, the the orientation that that I have chosen for exit the thing that the thing that makes the most sense to me as the flag that we could all get behind is mm-hmm. none of the other stuff that we might care about matters if we can't have grandchildren mm-hmm. and uh and i know i you know I, I know that a lot of the uh a lot of the the, the the nietzschean guys will say well it can't all it can't just be about kids and i agree it can't but at minimum your vision of the future has to include kids like mm-hmm. because if you if your if your memes and the genes that carry those memes are not present a hundred years from now, then none of the other crap that you're talking about will matter. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, do you need to do you need to accomplish some things for yourself? Yes, like you you will not be immortal through your children. They cannot be a a vicarious achievement. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, I think if your if your goal is to raise good children, then a huge portion of what that means is showing them an example being being an impressive and aspirational person so that they will want uh the life that you are offering them the way mm-hmm. of life the culture and and basically what we're up against i think i think i think the the the, the chemical and the and the, the, the neurological the toxin problem is is real and and we should address that mm-hmm. but i think 
more fundamentally, it's it's a spiritual disease. I think it's it's just people choosing uh, under under pretty rarefied incentive structures to just forego this really fundamental human experience. And mm-hmm. and and the task of the task of escaping this system uh, in large part involves. Well, well, first of all, why would we want to escape this system? I think we want to escape the system because we, we want to we want to have families. We want to have healthy families. That's what this whole system militates against. That's what it's trying to tear down and destroy. Mm-hmm. Is uh, is our ability to to reproduce to reproduce physiologically, but also and maybe more importantly, culturally. Mm-hmm. Because if if we if we reproduce physiologically, they can still they can still you know rape and brainwash your kids. Yeah, it's interesting um, what you just said, the sort of, I think it's something of a false dichotomy between the, you know, um, chemical stuff. And, I, you know, I agree. I, I haven't really heard that much about, like, people trying to get, you know, obviously it happens, um, but it doesn't seem like, and anyway, it's a private thing, so maybe it's happening behind closed doors and you don't hear about it, but, of, of peop, you know, a huge number of people trying to get pregnant and, and not being able to because of like hormonal or chemical stuff. Maybe that's something coming down the pike. Um, but it doesn't seem to be a huge issue right now. I think I agree with you that it's, um, you know, a matter of priorities and a matter of, I think, uh, a ma- yeah, a matter of sort of spiritual alignment and what are, what, what are we here to do? Um, yeah. Uh, and, yeah. And, and, and so uh, you know, is, is what we're here to do to like, you know, um, find fulfillment through our careers and, and like, uh, I don't know, pursue, uh, pursue mindless pleasure. Uh, you know, if that's what the regime tells us. And, um, and, and so, you know, there's no, there's, there, I don't see how children factors into that, like, you know, ontology. Um, right. and so I think what I wanted to say was that I don't differentiate. And, and, and one of the points that I, uh, try and get across. It's very difficult to approximate, but is that I don't, um, yeah, I don't draw a, a line between like the spiritual and the physical in this in this question. I think that, like for example, the fact that you know to 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 bring up a different example, like the fact that we are that that like obesity is such an insane problem, um, and uh, you know on, in in a physical way, uh, and the fact that like you know. Uh, there, there's, you know, not, not, it's not that people are to blame for their obesity necessarily. I think that, you know, uh, it's, it's, it, it manifests itself through like what is, what has been foisted on us as like the sort of, you know, quote unquote, normal natural diet. Um, you know, the same people, the same sort of, uh, whether it's racial or, or socioeconomic level, uh, the people in the same positions who are now obese would not have been obese, uh, 50 or 60 years ago. Um, and so it's a, it's a question of like, you know, um, it's a question of uh, what's been sort of decided upon for you in terms of um, what you will, yeah, what you will ingest. And like, I think that, you know, those notions of like what, what food can be that have led to, you know, these sort of innovative foods like seed oils that weren't ever meant to be foods um, and lots of other uh, things coming at us uh, in that category uh, in different ways, um, like that idea and the outcome that that spiritual idea or that abstract notion of like, you know, we can just, we can, 
um, manipulate things. We can, uh, we can, you know, bend the rules of nature, or break them, and it won't matter uh, because, like, technology justifies everything that we do um, or whatever. And and the, and the, and the physical manifestation of that in like the bodies of the obese, I don't like. I just, you know, it's like body and soul. Like, I just, I don't think of them as like separate things. Um, it's all one thing. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's like a composite like entity. Um, and, and so, you know, it's similar, it's a similar thing with, um, like the fact that like sperm counts are dropping and the fact that the regime, um, sort of spiritually convinces people that like having children, uh, is, you know, maybe something you might do if you're like weird and traditional and like, that's cool or whatever, but like, you know, the cool kids are like, you know, uh, uh, I don't know, like uh, on OnlyFans or something, like you know, <laughs> creating an OnlyFans instead of, uh, you know, not that it's gotten to that point, but you know, there there are like sort of subtle messages along those lines, and I think you know, I'm being I'm being a little bit exaggeratory, but you know, certainly um, certainly the messaging is that uh, like career and um, and yeah, just like material, yeah, material, um, material kind of wealth and not not a material the pursuit like i was saying earlier the, the pursuit of, of kind of mindless pleasures um yeah. are are uh are what you know are, are the and meaning of life basically <laughs> and i don't think that it's actually presented to them as better like i don't mm. i don't think that i don't think that what especially women are being told is that like a childless careerist uh like wage cage life is actually better it's more mm -hmm. that like uh he's gonna leave you you're gonna get fat you're gonna it's gonna be so stressful it's gonna you're gonna fail you're the, the risks are too great and therefore you should go with the like like you know a, a, a mother's love and the 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 hug you get from your four-year-old isn't as reliable as your check every two weeks. Yeah. I mean, that's insanely accurate. I think the, 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 um, the, the, the constant messaging that you'll be fat, uh, and ugly, uh, yeah. if you like become pregnant, uh, which is just not actually true. Um, <laughs> uh, but you know, there are obviously like, there's like Instagram, you know, I've just seen this through the like Instagram, uh, feeds of female friends. Um, where, you know, they, they, you know, apropos of nothing, like a, a random um, reel or whatever will come up. That's like, you know, basically a, a woman who's, in, who has like 2 million followers, whose entire account is devoted to like, you know, like this, this sort of, you know, body positivity thing about like post, post pregnancy body positivity with like stretch marks and like, you know, not having the same uh, physique as before. And it's just like, but it's like the worst case scenario. Like, you know, she just like, uh, and it, it's just so obviously being, you know, um, being, you know, subliminally promoted. Uh, and, and yet yeah. these girls just get this notion in their heads that they'll be, they'll be like used up. Um, and, but like the fact is that if you actually like know, uh, you know, a random sampling of pregnant women, like most of them <laughs> like look the same within a few months out. Um, and obviously well, everybody ages. And the deterioration, uh, if if you compare them to women who don't like, there's there's certainly yeah. uh, plenty of women who who uh, uh, don't lose baby weight, but 
right. when when you compare that to sort of gen pop of just the, mm-hmm. the, the the ladies who are just getting late in their 20s and 30s and starting to gain weight just like we all sort of do if we don't do anything about it like it, yep. it it's it's hard to uh, it's hard to blame the baby necessarily and uh, <laughs> yeah. and and i think i was talking to, i was talking to um a lady about this um this natalism issue and this conference that we're putting together this year mm-hmm. uh you know uh, uh, more on that later for the listeners um and she was she was saying that conversations that she's had with young women they really treat pregnancy or not they don't that's not even conscious when you bring up the idea of pregnancy to some of these women their reaction is body horror mm-hmm. it's like right. it's it's like hr geiger like an a, like a chest burster like this this creature is sure. going to going to grow inside me and destroy my body and yeah. Um, and I, th- I, I think partly that's rooted in just like really bad memes, just, just sort of f- falsehoods. Um, but I think that there's a deeper issue of if you don't view yourself as part of a whole, if you don't, if you view yourself as an individual and your status as an individual is like, that's fundamentally who you are is just you. Um, rather than being part of a family, rather than being part of a lineage, a nation, a, a, a you know, children of God, whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, then it is, it's like this outsider. It's, it's some man's baby or something like it's, it's, right. uh, it's like an infestation. And, right. um, and so I think, I think that it, it, it goes, it goes even deeper than just like, Oh, hey, they're telling you you're going to be miserable if you if you get pregnant. It's it's like fundamental to the ideology that 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 procreation is is sort of viscerally repulsive. Yes, your your godhood as an individual uh, with the ability to um, transgress uh, transgress the laws of biology will be um, <laughs> will be uh, que- called into question. Um, right now that you have a you have another another entity <laughs> however however they you know whatever weird uh weird definitions they come up for that um right that, that places that places demands on good behavior like it's no longer up to you what you put into your body because the baby's going to get that and and it's no longer up to you like what like that that uh the 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 abortion uh, argument too is it's it's so it's so viscerally felt because they, they, they do, they view, they view their bodily autonomy as uh, real, like the end all be all. There's no, there's like no higher moral line that you can transgress than that. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. It, it makes the continuation of the human species pretty complicated if we were to, uh, if we were to all adopt that in a serious way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think subconsciously it is being adopted and that's, that's kind of what we're up against. Um, yep. so, well, this, I, I, I don't want to keep you too much long. This has been great, great conversation, William. I appreciate you coming, uh, to talk. Uh, do, do you have anything that, uh, the people should know about from you? Any, 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 uh, anything going on in your life? Um, 
not really. You know, I continue to uh, to post. If you don't follow me, please please do it. Plowman's Folly, uh, P L O U G H. You know, I'm trying to write a book. Uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, it uh, it comes out in um, you know, yeah, in fits and starts. But um, it's a top uh, hopefully, secret. What's it about? It well, it's just about sort of all of my different different ideas um, and and the stuff that I focus on. But talking about expanding on stuff that that I've been posting about all along. Um, certainly, farming. Um, the yes, the the relationship between the sexes. Uh, the body, um, and may, maybe a bit on uh, spirituality as well. Um, so, uh, it, you know, it sort of will be a series series of essays uh, rather than that 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 kind of all coalesce into um, into one theme. So, uh, you know, look forward to that or not. It may or may not actually <laughs> it may or may not actually come into existence, but hopefully it will, um, and hopefully you'll you'll read it and enjoy it. Um, but at the very least, uh, you know, I'll be continuing to write. Uh, for our for our friendly publications, I am seventeen seventy six, uh, Man's World, um, Asylum, and so on. Um, so I have some things in the pipeline for all of those. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm, uh, I'm hoping to be a Man's World alum myself here shortly. So that's uh, nice. That, yeah, that's Ren great. is a Ren is a great man, uh, a great a great editor, and he uh, yes is 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 doing is doing God's work truly, and he puts in an insane amount of effort. So everybody should. Uh, go and, and and check out Man's World on uh, Raw Nationalist page. Um, it's it's really all all in it is super high quality stuff. I asked him. I, I did an interview with him for another guy's podcast, and I asked him like, "Do you have a background in graphic design?" And he was like, "No, I was trying my hand at it." And he's just incredible. It's it's it looks so yeah. great. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah. Really, really Good remarkable. Job. Um, and, and, uh, and he promised me no TNA in this issue, so I can, uh, I can gift it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> cool, man. Hey, That's it's a- great, great talking to you. Uh, for those of you that want to, uh, learn more about what William's doing, yeah, it's at Plowman's Folly on Twitter. And, uh, if you want to learn more about what we're doing, you can follow us at exit underscore org or check us out at exitgroup.us. Thanks, William. Good to hear from you. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Thank you.